don't you go ahead and grab a seat, if you would, and we'll get started. Okay. Should be a handout coming your way. So, uh, let's see here. Let's scoot this over a little bit. All right. Okay, go ahead and grab a seat. We'll get started. Um, anyways, uh, my name is Rich. I'm one of the pastors here at the Firehouse Church. So uh, if you're new with us, I'd just like to welcome you and encourage you to sit back and enjoy. And feel free to get a, a refill during the service here. I'm with uh, Denver's finest church coffee. You know, I don't know if we can quantify that or not, but it's, it's fun saying. Uh, and it's great coffee, too. So... Um, Anyways, uh, I'm going to go ahead and just pray, and then we'll kind of uh, maybe uh, share a few things here, then we'll get started on, on where we're at in this series. So, if you guys don't mind, let's just bow our heads and pray one more time here. So, Heavenly Father, we do uh, just thank you for this morning, and that we just ask that you would meet us here. We thank you for the opportunity to have fellowship together, for the opportunity to worship you together. And Lord, I pray that... Um, that you would grab our attention here for the, the next few minutes that we have. And, and God, I pray that your word would speak to us, that your spirit would speak to us. God, I pray that you would help make us more like you. Help us to grow in the life that pleases you that we'll be talking about, Lord. And we just tell you we need your help in this, on this subject. It's, it's an important and controversial subject. And I, I just pray you would meet us here. Give us soft and sensitive and obedient hearts to you, Lord. And God, I just pray you'd help me to share, even uh, in humility, just r related to, to my own life and my own uh, challenges that you've, you've overcome. And um, but God, I just want to turn this time over to you. Ask for your blessing in Jesus' His name, Amen. All right. Well, uh, just a couple quick things before we jump into this. Um, one is uh, last. What was it last week? Uh, I think it was last week or the week before. I've shared about a um, my foot. We were talking about trials, and I shared about the possibility of having a stress fracture in my foot. As some of you have asked, you know, how's that going? Some of you haven't asked. It's like you don't care. I don't know. Um, but, you know, uh, so anyways, the doctor eventually got back to me after I took x-rays, and they said that the um, x-rays were kind of inconclusive. They didn't show whether there was a stress fracture there or not. And as I read online, it said with stress fractures, uh, especially in the fifth metatarsal area, it's highly unlikely it's... it's Highly unlikely not to catch that on an x-ray. They say you can do MRIs or bone scans, both of which are more expensive and neither of which resonate with me. Um, but, but anyway, she said, well, if you want to wait a week or two, uh, put uh, an arch support in, in your shoe here and maybe that will help relieve some of the stress there. She said I had high arches. and So, um, so anyways, a week or two, I think I'm on a week right now waiting and it's seeming to feel somewhat better and feel like... I'm not, uh, you know, I don't know. I'm trying to rest it up a little bit, but the jury's still out on whether I have something or not here. But I appreciate your prayers. You can keep them coming if you'd like to. Um, another thing just to get to before we, we start the, the official uh, series here, but how many of you survived this weekend's women's conference? How many of you survived? It was icy, uh, icy up in the YMCA Estes Park, but see, you know what I was getting at. I was talking more to you dads out there. How many of you survived the women's conference? Um, got a couple pictures to show you of my survival. I documented the last 24 hours a little bit on Facebook. Um, I think I put three posts out there, which doubled my Facebook posting uh, for my life. So, uh, anyways, let's see this next picture we've got here. Here's a picture of uh, survival mode. This is uh, roughly 16 kids on a couch. Um, and uh, this was the dads, a couple of us dads, hanging out at the Mahali's house uh, while our wives were gone. And so, someone I know on Facebook asked, How many families does this represent? And, you know, the answer is two. There's two families right now. <laughs> Just joking. It's actually four families represented here. So uh, four families, I think 16 kids. So five Thatcher kids, five Millers, four Mahalis, and two Myers in this bunch here. Some of them are off screen though. Um, so anyways, that was, we watched movies. We watched Wreck-It Ralph. It was a fun little movie there. Um, next picture we got is um, 
This was uh, one of my one, one of my kiddos made it out. Um, you know, one thing that I've, I've heard, and, and maybe you could uh, agree or not agree with this, but in general, women do a better job multitasking than men. Can I get an amen? <laughs> amen. So women can multitask, and men not so much. I can focus on about one thing at a time, and even that is not really focused. And so, um, but so when it comes to five kids, I did not focus on what my son was wearing out the door. This was uh, while we were at the Mahali's house. We were headed home, and I said, put your shoes on, and I looked down, and I see, wow. Um, and we had already been to Safeway and walked around there and, uh, and uh, you know, picked up pizza and stuff like that. So it was, that was very interesting. Um, I guess there's a little prank he was pulling or something, because last night when we came to church, I had to bring the kids here as well, and I told everyone to get dressed, and sure enough, he had the same shoes on, except he had a sock on this time, so I don't know, we're, we're working on that. But um, another thing we had here, this was, uh, we called this on Facebook, I posted this as breakfast daddy style, so uh, <laughs> that is a box of Dunkin' Donuts there. Um, if you look at the attire they have as well, that's, those are all pajamas that they're still in. Um, there's jackets. Uh, if you look a little closely at it, the youngest one there is, is wearing the boots of his brother that's about two people over from him. Uh, they were the only ones that would fit and have his slippers on still. So, uh, and then Justice is wearing his sister's boots, you know, the baby blue there. Judah, there was a few comments that Judah looks extremely happy, and I think it's because he had too much coffee yesterday, so uh, that was my cup of coffee he was holding for me. So, anyways, it was, uh, it was a wild time, and, and, you know, it was wild just in the meals alone. I think uh, for four meals, we did, uh, two of them we did Little Caesars, and uh, dinner last night and the night before, one was Dunkin' Donuts, and the third one I actually cooked. I cooked uh, my special recipe for the kids by, by request, uh, we call it Dad. Ratatouille, and it's, um, it's a combination of ramen noodles and uh, scrambled eggs thrown in the ramen noodles. So they love it, and it's a popular favorite. But dads, if you're ever in a pinch, Datatui might help you out. So, anyways, enough. We we survived. Everyone's alive and kicking, and so uh, I am so glad to have my wife back. Uh, I think of the verse there early on in Genesis: "It is not good for the man to be alone," and it is it is not good for this man to be alone. So, anyways, so happy and. And I know other dads are, are sharing the same sentiment here. But anyways, uh, we're in the middle of a series, or almost near the end of a series, actually. We've been uh, studying the book of 1 Thessalonians together. And so this morning we're going to take a look at uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and the first part of that chapter. Next week, Dennis is going to look at the second part of that chapter. And so... Um, we, we had arm wrestled for this subject. We, I lost that, and Dennis got to pick the passage he wanted. So, uh, therefore, I get this one. He gets a fun one next week about things related to the Lord's return. So, um, but anyways, we're going to read this together here. Um, and really, we're going to focus on the first section. Uh, just an overview of what's going on in this part of the chapter is that Paul is instructing the Thessalonians about ways that they can please God more and more. And in this passage up to verse 13, he really gives them three different areas to focus in on when it comes to pleasing God. And last night at the, at the nightlife time, um, we looked at two out of the three areas. And this morning, we're just going to look at one. And so if you want to know more about about those last two areas, they relate to um, loving God, love one another more and more, and then the last one is related to things uh, in the workplace, things about having work, uh, working with your hands, things related to winning the respect of outsiders with your work, and then also having finances that you won't have to, uh, as the message says for verse 13 there, that you won't have to sponge off of others. And so those are things, those are points two and three on a life that pleases God. This morning we're going to focus in on point one which is living a life that is sexually pure. And really what we're going to talk about is how God calls us and God's definition for sex. And we're going to talk about holy sex in an unholy world. And this topic is, uh, this, this topic is somewhat controversial. And the truths that I'm going to share with you, there, there would be people that would be 
very uh, offended that we might believe that they would be true and that we might try to live our lives accordingly. And, and so I just want, my hope and my prayer has been that as we go through these verses, as we look at this passage together, that you and I would be marked by these verses, that we would realize they're not, they're not my thinking. They're not Dennis's or Tim's or Brad's or Jeff's ideas. We didn't come up with them. We we're going to try to communicate them to you, um, but, but we need to be very, very aware at how important these truths are for our own life and in the world around us. Sometimes it's easy to go, who cares? What's the big deal? But this morning we're going to talk about what's the big deal. And it's a bigger deal than, than I even last realized. And, so, and yet we have a message of hope to speak right into the middle of this very big deal. And so I want to leave you both with a, a soberness about it all, and yet a hope in what God can do to, to help each one of us. And so if you would, if you have a Bible, you can look along with me. Otherwise, I'll just read it here. First Thessalonians chapter 4. And I'm just going to read verses 1 through 8. Again, if you want to hear those other uh, verses... Uh, 9 through 12, you can catch. I think we recorded the teaching last night. You can check that online. But anyways, here we go. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. We asked you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins, as we have warned you already, uh, as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. And therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives you His Holy Spirit. So that's, uh, that's the passage here, and we're going to look at a couple of these verses, really um, starting in, in verse 3 here. More specifically, you have a handout. Uh, hopefully you can fill that out as we go, and take some of those verses with you here. But uh, let's see here. Really, we're going to tackle this first question here. We're going to start on verse 3 is where we're going to kick things off here. And if we reread that verse, it just says this, It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable. And so the blank we have there, the question we ask is, is why should we be sexually pure? And, and the answers we have is, one, this pleases God. This is in the context of things that please God, and we should do more and more. And two, it is God's will for us. It says very clearly here, Paul is saying, Hey guys, when it comes to pleasing God, I've got something you can be positive. It is God's will for you. And it is this. I love how the New Living puts it. This, it's God's will for you to be holy and to stay away from all sexual sin. He goes on to say, live in holiness and honor. And that is God's will for us here. And so... Um, you know, the word sanctified is, is a word that's a, kind of more of a, a churchy word. Just a few thoughts on that. Uh, sanctified and sanctification and holiness and holy, they, they relate pretty closely here. Um, this is, uh, I think, William McDonald's definition here says, To sanctify means to set apart for divine use. In one sense, all believers have been set apart from the world to the Lord's service. This is known as positional sanctification. There's two ways of being sanctified, he talks about. One is, is positional. There's places where it says you have been made holy. And then there's other places where it says you are being made holy. It goes on to say, however, in another sense, believers should sanctify themselves. That is, they should separate themselves from all forms of sin. This is known as practical or progressive sanctification. Uh, it is a process that will continue until the believer's death or the Lord's return. So to be sanctified is to be set apart for a special use, for God's use, for a holy use. And, and there's a way that that's happened in a, when you become a, a Christian. There's a way there's a one time you have been made holy in one sense. And, yet, and there's another sense that it's an ongoing process here. And so again, this boils down to uh, why should we be sexually pure? Because it is God's will for you and for me to be sexually pure, to be holy. And so we're going to talk about that. Um, so we've got to ask the question, how, how can we be sexually pure? Let's see, I think that's your next uh, 
the next blank we have here. Um, how can we be sexually pure? Again, that, that verse gives us an insight right off the bat into that. The first part is, you can be pure by avoiding that which is impure, by avoiding sexual immorality. You can be pure by living in a way that is holy and honorable. And in this context, specifically speaking about um, sexual relations. And so, um, the question becomes, with the word sexual immorality, we're going to look at the Greek word for that here in a minute, but sexually immoral has, what does that mean? What does it mean to be immoral? What does morality have to do with? Well, some of you might already know that, but morality has to do with things that are behaviors and actions that are either right or wrong. There's a, a rightness about how we behave sexually and a wrongness. And that's what sexually immoral is relating to sexually wrongness, sexual things that are wrong. And, but the question be, becomes, who should define what is right and what is wrong? Who are you to say, pastor, that this is right and that is wrong? And, and that's a great question. And yet we should look at some of the, the answers on that, some of the possibilities here. And that's what we're going to do here. For our blanks, we had avoid sexual immorality. Um, the next thing we're going to look at is who should define sexual immorality. Let's see here. There's a couple different options here. Um, in your first blank, maybe people. Let's just leave it up to people to decide. People speaking like collectively. Uh, maybe we should leave it up to a government or a society or a culture. Maybe they're the ones that who sh should decide what is right and what is wrong. There's some obvious problems with that. Think about... Um, Governments where there's a dictatorship or something and, and the choices that uh, maybe a government would lead a person into are not moral at all. They're, they're not sexually moral, they're not moral just in general. And, and what if someone like that is deciding what's right and wrong? Well, that's not going to work very well. Think about, well, what if it's a democracy? Democracy is the way to go, right? Majority rule. Well, if you think about it, if 51% of the people decide something is okay, 49% of the people have to live by a morality that... A, a tiny majority decided. And, and that's probably not going to work real well, especially if you're in the 49% that didn't decide that. Think about culture. Well, maybe let each culture decide. This is right to them, and it's right, right, that's wrong to them, and they've got their own worlds there. Well, what happens when you let your culture decide? Well, I think you get into some problems that, uh, well, I think even that the Thessalonians were facing at the time. There's... Uh, a quote from uh, the writer Demosthenes, and he wrote of sex in the ancient Roman world, and he said this, imagine this is your culture. He said, um, we keep prostitutes for pleasure. We keep mistresses for the day-to-day -day needs of the body. We keep wives for the faithful guardianship of our homes. Does that sound like a good cultural view? Well, that was the common cultural view that Paul was writing to. Prostitutes are great for some things, and mistresses are great, and, and wives are great. You know, they're all, they're all great. There's nothing wrong with any of those. I don't know if a lot of you would agree with that, especially you women in this room might take issue with someone else's standards of a culture like that. And so, we obviously can't let the culture determine it. So the other uh, possibility, you can write down individuals. Maybe individuals should decide. Each one of us should decide, what do I think is right? And i got to live by what I think is right. Well, we get into some problems that way, right? So some people will say it's okay to express yourself sexually if you're in love. Love is the definition. If I love somebody, I can express myself sexually to them. Well, you know, initially that, that seems good. I remember in college and stuff, I thought, ah, if I love somebody, it should be my right. But you start to get into some problems with that because what if you love someone who's a, a child? What if you love someone that's... Uh, I was reading just online some different things where there's people who say, you know what? The orientation that I have is attracted to young children, and I should have the freedom to express my love to young children. How many of you think that's okay? I don't think that's okay, but someone that's my desire. There's people that are lobbying right now to have uh, pedophilia be classified as a sexual orientation, something that can't be changed, and something that can't... Um, that uh, someone should be allowed to act on. There's different camps in this. Uh, you get into other things. Well, what if, you know, what if I just desire to have sex with someone? Statistically, uh, annually, there's over 89,000 rape cases filed in the United States every year. You know what the heart of that is? That's someone who has a desire, that they want to express their desire on another individual, and they think that's an okay thing to do. And, and that's what happens if things are left to the individual, it becomes a mess. Now what if, what if we let God decide what is sexually right and sexually wrong? 
This morning I'm going to present to you from the Bible that case. You might not agree with it, you might not like it, but I'm just going to share with you um, some verses and let you go wrestle with them because you will be the ones that have to answer to your Creator. This verse here in Genesis, it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. And so uh, God from the beginning said, Hey, here's, here's male and here's female. And be fruitful. Have sex. Reproduce. Fill the earth. Some people would say, you know, sex didn't come along till after the fall, and so the whole thing is just a mess. Sex is just, you know, you decide, you make, you make up your own rules. But you know, sex was invented before the fall. Sexual parts were invented before the fall. God created things uh, with a specific design. And if anybody has a right to set down uh, designs for what is right and what is wrong, I would make the case it is God. Everything else you get into subjectiveness, people's opinion. Well, here's my opinion, here's my opinion, here's their opinion. Here's... God says, I created you and this is what is right. And you know what? He's the one that's going to implement it, and, and we're going to talk about that. But um, I think we have to watch sometimes the, the idea of, obviously, let's, let's take a look here. What's the next blank we have? Um, so, well, how does God define this? And so um, we're going to look at God's design here. And you've got some blanks here. Um, now, again, I want to share this with you for your own understanding. You might not agree with it. You might not like it. But, but don't confuse that with what it says. Um, and so I just want to make sure we each grapple with that. And because I think these truths are becoming more and more controversial. But God's definition of this uh, is it's, it's not as complicated as you might think. There's really two major components to God's definition for this. One comes from, it's expressed very well here in Hebrews 13.4. This is what God says about marriage. The marriage bed, think about that as the sexual relations. There it says, Marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Uh, to translate that a little bit, it's saying that God has designed sex for the marriage bed. And there's a way that it should be kept pure. And it should be honored that sex will occur in marriage. And God will judge sex that occurs outside of marriage. Those two words there, for, um, sexual immorality, the, the old King James version of that is a, a fornication. God will judge all fornicators. That is sexual activity outside of the marriage covenant. That's before someone gets married. And then adultery is once you are in a marriage covenant and you have sex outside of your, your marriage covenant, God will judge adultery and God will judge fornication. And now people will get in, well, how do you define marriage? Great question. Let's look at what Jesus had to say on that subject. Jesus put it like this. When he was uh, talking to people about marriage, Matthew 19, 4-6, he says, uh, And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So God has designed that sex should occur within the marriage commitment, a marriage covenant. And God has designed a defined marriage from the very first one, and, and there's been no change since, that it would be between a man leaving his father and mother to be united to his wife, and the two would become one. And that is God's design. Um, some of the different things related to that, again, immorality, it comes from the Greek word pornea. That's where we get fornication. Fornication, pornea, is, if you sound it out, it, it kind of has some similar sounds there. But um, when we talk about sexual purity, we talk about avoiding sexual immorality, fornication. This says God will judge fornicators, those who commit that. And so we're going to talk about that a little more. Um, you know, what are, what's the big deal? I just want to share with you, these, these are the verses. The verses aren't going anywhere. There is a huge assault in society on these two verses, these two fundamental truths here about the marriage covenant being the place for sex and that being between one man and a woman. Some people will get in, here's where you get into the interpretations thing. Some people, oh, there's so many interpretations. And I've got a bone to pick with that. And I, and I hope you would have a bone to pick with someone else who says, oh, there's so many interpretations. 
If you're a teacher on any subject in college and universities, there's truth about subjects. If you teach mathematics, there's truth about math. If someone says to you, one plus one is not two, my interpretation is that that's not two. Well, guess what they're going to tell you in your math class? You're wrong. Eh? You got that one wrong. And if you're in a language class, you know, languages you learn principles like words have meanings. You know, I think about, uh, I dabbled in French before. Um, I, I talked to Ned. Ned actually teaches people French. I don't know, Ned floating around here anywhere? You can't correct my French. Oh, man, it's too bad. I cannot get away with bad French. But sometimes I'll joke with Ned and I'll say, uh, Bon matin, which technically translates something to good morning. Um, but Ned tells me, the French don't say that. They don't use that in France. But this is my interpretation of how we speak that, right? And it works with absolutely nobody else. Um, I think about Spanish is even a, a better example. Someone said, I think of the phrase, uh, que hora es? Does anyone know what that means? What time is it? And technically it means, what hour is it? Like in French, quelle heure est-il? What hour is it? Now if I say, hey, you know what? That, that phrase sounds a lot like que hora es? That sounds like, what, what odor is that? What, Kyoto S, what, what is that? Kyoto S, um, you know, and if you went into any Span Spanish class where someone knew Spanish and they taught Spanish, they would say, nice, nice intention, maybe, but you're wrong. You're wrong, and you know what? When it comes to truth about the Bible, there are wrong interpretations, guys. There really are. And in other subjects, people will mark you off. They'll give you an F. They won't let you pass their subject. But somehow the Bible is open to everybody's interpretations. And we've got to know many of those interpretations are wrong. And we have to be aware of that. And so we're going to look at some verses here. And what I'd like you to do is, as you look at them, there's, there's a few directions you can go with them. But there's enough of them that... If you go somewhere else, all I can say is I shared them with you. And if you end up in, in different places from those verses, that will be between you and the Lord someday. My job is to share as a teacher of the Bible the truth as I understand it. And that's, that's what I'm doing. And, and I'm not alone in this truth. There are many uh, Bible scholars who... I'm not a, a Greek or Hebrew Bible scholar, but there are many who have devoted their lives to that. And, and these are the translations that, that they've given to those like ourselves that might hold a more conservative view of the Scriptures. But uh, this is the one we're living by. This is the one we're telling others about. This is the one we're warning people about because of the ramifications here. So let's uh, look at that. So uh, what's the big deal? That's what we're going to look at. What's the big deal about this? So you might say, okay, that's your definition. Fine. You take your definition. I take mine. We'll, we'll catch you later. Um, but we've got to know there is a really big deal about all this. And one of the blanks we have here, let's go to um, the next one here. There's three things I'm going to share that make this uh, a really big deal. And, and the first one is, um, is right here in this passage. We're just going to look at this is put uniquely in this passage in Thessalonians that it's not put other places. But it says this, that in this matter of sexual sin, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins. We've already told you and, and warned you. But there's, there's a way that when you commit sexual sin, have sex with someone outside of marriage, there's a way it can defraud others. And what does defraud mean? To take advantage of, to take something that is not yours. I think about cases of fraud that go on on Craigslist all the time where people take someone's money and it is not theirs. They don't give something in exchange. You've probably heard the story of one of uh, the dear women in our church here who gave a lot of money to buy something and a person ended up being fraudulent activity for $1,500 she, she lost because someone took her money and, and did not give what they promised to give. And, we can't take advantage of others. But the way that that is meant is like this. Um, uh, one person put it like this. When we are sexually immoral, we take advantage of and defraud others. We cheat them in greater ways than we can imagine. The adulterer defrauds his mate and children. The fornicator defrauds his future mate and children. And both defraud their illicit partner. You know, when you have sex with someone you're not married to, sometimes as a pastor over the last 14 years, I have a number of people told me, well, I love this person. I can have sex with them. Some people even say, I'm engaged to this person. I can have sex with them. But you know what I've seen time and time again? People who've had sex with someone that they didn't end up marrying. You know what the ramifications are of that? It's twofold. One is, they cheated on the one who they would marry. A person's spouse and their family was defrauded of what should have been only for that person. They also cheated on the other person who would marry someone else. 
and would have a, a family of their own. And they took something from that person that was not theirs to take according to the Scriptures. And so um, we, we have to watch. Now someone might say, well, so what's the big deal? Well, you might not take that as a warning. I take that as a warning. I don't want to defraud others. And I would have to say, unfortunately, before I began following Christ, a lot of these things I'm going to share with you here are things that I violated myself. And, uh, and, and they led to the things that were promised. I'll tell you more about that. But let's get on to... God will punish people for all such sins. Occasionally, you bump into people that say it's not that big a deal. The Bible, especially the New Testament, does not much have, have much to say on this. Jesus doesn't have much to say on this. And I'm going to give you some verses for your interpretation. But I, I'm afraid to tell you, they are extremely clear. And you will have to do damage to much of the rest of the Scriptures to interpret them uh, in a way that is is not obvious. There's a, a saying I heard when it comes to interpreting the Bible, interpreting the Bible, if the plain sense makes common sense, seek no other sense lest you find nonsense. You know, a lot of people end up with nonsense because the plain sense, the plain meaning, it doesn't work for them. So you know what? They have to kind of cut and paste the whole Bible together and they end up with a lot of nonsense. There's a lot of nonsense going on out in our culture right now, men and women. But we must be warned. It says very clearly here, the Lord will punish men for all such sins. Um, it goes on here. Let's see some... That's, that's a pretty clear warning right there if that's the only verse you had to go on. But Galatians 5.21 puts it like this. Um, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. It goes through a whole list of them. Verse 21 it says, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this... Those are just three out of uh, nine in the list there. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do you think it's okay? God would defer, have a differing thought on that. Colossians 3.5 says this, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. He's talking about me goes on to say here, Ephesians 5, For you can be sure of this, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ or of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. It's a big deal, folks. Let's keep going here. Revelation has a couple verses on this. Let's read those here. One says this, Revelation 21, verse 7 and 8. He overcomes, will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, will be placed in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Revelation 22 says this. I mean, it's still open for interpretation, but here's what Revelation 22 says. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, are those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. It's open for interpretation. You know, in that last quote there, guess who said that? Guess who's recorded in Revelation 22 is speaking those words? Jesus. Jesus is speaking to John, and John wrote down his words. And if you think Jesus doesn't think it's a big deal, in, in uh, the New Testament, Jesus talked about sexual immorality as an evil that comes from the heart. It overflows into people's lives. Right here, Jesus is saying that these people will... Be outside the kingdom of God. Those who practice magical arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, everyone who loves and practices falsehood. What's the big deal? The big deal is this, guys. Now, now whether you believe this or not, God promises He will punish those who engage in this. And we must take warning first and foremost, but we also must know that there's a danger that in love and, and where you have relationships with people, where you have credibility with them, you've got to warn them. Because it goes on to say this, I love uh, McDonald puts it like this, in spite of modern man's smug lackness in these, this area, the fact remains that any sexual relations outside the bonds of marriage are sin. Adultery is not a sickness. It is sin. And it is a sin which God will inevitably judge. No form of immorality will escape. He judges it in this life. 
through bodily ailments, broken families, mental and nervous afflictions, personality deformities, and unless it is pardoned through the blood of Christ, He will judge it in eternal fire. Men and women, it doesn't really matter what translation you're reading. This is a really big deal to God. We've got to catch that. I didn't write it. Um, I'm just sharing this with you here. One other thing we've got to catch of of what's the big deal about it is this. Um, Point three here is, God will punish those who are breaking His design. But you know what else we've got to catch in this? God will bless those who keep His design for sexual purity. God will bless it. It's the theme throughout the Bible. When you do things that that dishonor God, there will be ramifications. And when you do things that honor God, that follow His design, God will bless you. You've got to be sure of it. God will bless you. You know, and and I speak these verses here. Jesus at one point said, Blessed are those rather who hear the word of God and obey it. Uh, Think of John 13, 17 as He said, "Um, Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Another place there, James 1.25 said, Don't just be hearers of the Word, do it. And he goes on to say, Because you'll be blessed by doing it. The last part here, Revelation, uh, oh, whoops, John 10.10 is where Jesus said, Hey, I came to give you life to the fullest. Jesus could have said, I I came to give you a really rough life. It's going to be really boring, really lame. Boy, if you don't follow me, you'll have all your heart's desire sexually and all of the above. But you know what Jesus said? I came to give you life to the fullest. You know, God's the one that designed sex, and with God's blessing on it, it can be something beyond what you've ever imagined or experienced. And again, I say this because in my story, some of you know my story. I lived in 24 years plus of brokenness, of doing things my way, of making my own moral decisions of what's right and wrong. And through my own decisions, I brought a lot of brokenness into other people's lives. I brought brokenness into my life. And you know what? Uh, Some of you don't, you know, you have different stories there, but mine I have, I can share with you data from one side of the equation as it relates to sexual intimacy. And I can share with you data from the other side. When I became a follower of Christ, I decided, you know what? I'm not going to pursue another woman until I find my wife. And even in that, I'm going to have pure boundaries until we get married. And you know, on the other side of the design, I will personally tell you that God has blessed the sexual intimacy in my marriage far beyond I ever imagined, far beyond what I ever experienced. And this world promises you it's going to be so good if you do it this way. A different partner every night, yada, yada, yada. Imagine doing something that has God's blessing and God's backing. Imagine being with someone you're growing in greater love, with greater acceptance, greater security. Imagine practicing sex. For years and years and years. I've only been married for almost 14 years, but they say practice makes perfect. God will bless your sexual relationship if you honor Him in the way it's designed to. I've only been married for 14 years. I know guys that have been married a lot longer. I remember going to a marriage conference once. Uh, Herschel Martindale was speaking. I think he'd married 50 years. He had a lot of things to say about the awesomeness of the sex life that God has designed and blesses. He had some... Wild and crazy quotes there in his time that I will not tell you. Um, you have to ask him about it. But God will bless things when you do, do things His way. And the other thing you've got to catch here is that this is a two-sided promise. You know what? If you get married and you, you honor God with those boundaries, He will bless your relationship there. But guess what? If you abstain from sexual immorality when you're not married, do you know what? There are many promises in the Bible that God will bless you for that. In this life and in the life to come, there's promises that Jesus even said at one point in Matthew 19 that for those that make the choice to abstain from sex, there is an honor in heaven beyond everybody else who's going to be there. It's not just, oh, if you just hold out till you get married. There is a, a promised blessing for abstaining from sex, even if you have natural sexual desires. If you abstain from them... For God's sake, there will be reward for that, guys. It's not just the bad thing here. God wants to bless the socks off you in your marriage. And God wants to honor you even beyond that if you choose to stay sexually pure while not being married. You're not going to hear this anywhere else, but you've got to catch this, guys. It's an extremely big deal. So now what? Well, let's look at this last section here. This is verse 7 and 8, but... I'm doing time-wise here. Um, 
says this, For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Just a few things to think about here. Um, but one is this. When it comes to this subject, you've now heard some thoughts from the Bible on sexual immorality. Things that God would say are wrong sexually. Now you, you've got to decide, do you agree with that? Or do you disagree? Do you reject this teaching? Again, it's not my teaching. I didn't write it. I'm just trying to, to live according to it and to please God this way. Now if you reject it, just realize if you've got a bone to pick with this and this world does... You know, like it says here, you're not rejecting man, you're rejecting God. God's the one who gave this instruction like we talked about several weeks ago. God used men to um, be His instrument, moved by the Holy Spirit to bring about the Scriptures. They were just instruments in the hand of God. This is His truth, not ours. Now, some of you as Christians, you might say, uh, how many would say, I would agree with this? This seems... Seems pretty clear. I don't want to. You don't have to raise your hand, but I hope if you call yourself a, a Christian, you're trying to follow Christ. You would say, "Yes, Amen. I get it. I, I understand." But we have to realize this: that the call here is not just to agree with it. The question is, how are you doing and living it? He didn't say here, "Boy, uh, live with a pure agreement about this." He said, "I want you to live a pure life." It's not about whether you agree with it or not. And, you know, in some ways, I, I want to let you know this. The reason why we share this here in church is because this letter was written to a bunch of believers. If we got out publicly and started preaching this, sure, we'd create a ruckus. People are going to not be happy that we talked about it here in the privacy of our own church. But I've got to let you know this, men and women. If this teaching is for anyone, it is for you and me. Anyone who'd say... I'm a Christ follower. I'm a Christian. Because you know what? God gave us His Spirit. And it's not an accident that the Spirit He gave you and I uh, is called the Holy Spirit. You know, God could have named His Spirit anything. He could have named His Spirit the Friendly Spirit. You know, I think about Casper the Friendly Ghost. It could have been, I give you my Spirit, the Friendly Ghost. But what is His Spirit called throughout the New Testament? The Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. It's not the friendly Spirit. It's not the, I don't care about this Spirit. You and I have been given the Holy Spirit to reside in us. You think God wants us to live a holy life? I'm positive He does. Think about one of the verses we covered earlier that says this. You know, we just talked about some of the potential punishments. But, you know, Ephesians 5, 3, we quoted 5, 5. 5, 3 says this, brothers and sisters. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Do you call yourself a child of God, a follower of Christ? You've got to realize we don't have to worry about anyone outside of this building until we deal with ourselves. God has called you and me to a holy life. Not just outside what we do with our body. Jesus said, hey, look, all the sin goes on in your body. He said, the real issue is you've got to get in your heart. That's where this all starts. And you might be saying, I've never done adultery. I haven't fornicated since, you know, I can't remember when. Well, uh, you know, the same guy that made your body, he made your inside space too, your heart and your mind. And he calls for purity in your heart and in your mind as well as with your body. This is the call for you and the call for me. And um, men and women, I, I'm afraid... As brothers and sisters, there's a lot more unholy things going on with those who have the Holy Spirit. Some of the most sexually immoral people I've ever known in my life have been those who would call themselves born-again Christians. And I've seen some of the worst things through those who, who would say that. And you know what? If that is true that they are born again, and they have the Holy Spirit in them, it is grieving the heart of God. And many, as these verses will say, some will not actually have the Holy Spirit. Some of them aren't actually headed to heaven, even though they might think that they are. I was one of those. And we just have to realize, I think of the analogy of like a, a vessel. Imagine a, uh, our lives are this vessel, you're like this clear pitcher, glass pitcher, and you have this pure water in you. And to take a drink of it would be amazing. And, um, and maybe to have a holy life would be like to be that pitcher, and God takes a drink from our lives, and He goes, wow, that, that's awesome. But now imagine taking some, some sewage water. I don't know if you've ever had a plumbing problem in your house. That's pretty nasty water. If you've ever been, how about to an outdoor porta potty at a campground? Imagine scooping some water out of that and just putting a dash in your pitcher of water. How many of you would like to drink that? 
just a little bit, just a little half a cup, you know. Um, how, how would you like to drink that? Anyone say, that, that sounds fine to me. But think of the Holy Spirit. Think of your holy God. And He goes, that grieves me. That grieves me. And I can do nothing about it. I'm, I'm with you to the end of time. And that grieves me. And I think of my life that I lived of sexual sin in my heart, in my mind, and, and physically. And I go, how much sewage was my picture full of? And I think about people that call themselves Christians and things that they expose themselves to time and time again. It's the Holy Spirit, guys. It's the Holy Spirit. He wants you to live a holy life. And He has a right to that. And we've got to catch this. Though. But you know, I want to just close with some kind of good news related to all this. If, if, if we can close with good news, if that's alright. Um, you guys don't mind us turning the corner a little bit. Um, I think about one of the passages we didn't even mention earlier, probably one of the clearest passages on this subject, uh, besides Jesus talking about it in Revelation. Um, this one, 1 Corinthians 6, is one that's quoted, and it contains a lot. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11, through 11, it just says this, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now this includes beyond sexual sin. This is uh, all sin here. It says, Do not be deceived. Why does Paul say that? It's easy to be deceived about these type of sins. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And I love this next part. And that is what some of you were. You know how many of those labels would have described me before following Christ? A number of them. Multiple labels. And I love it. It says, and that is what you were. Some of you in this room, you know how many labels we could be qualified to buy this passage in this room? Many of us. And I love to say that. You know what? And such is some of you were. That is what some of you were. That is what I was. We've got to know that, yes, there's a big deal. God says this is a big deal. But you also have got to know these points here. God can change you. Paul was talking to a whole bunch, a church full of people living in a sexually immoral world and he said, saying to different ones, and I'm sure he could point out names of people related to each one of these labels that they might have identified themselves as. And he said, that is what you were. That is what you were. That's what you used to be. That's what you used to be. That's what you are no longer. And that's true of us today. That is what you were, Rich. And he goes on to say this, but you were washed. You know, when I think of washed, I think about a Titus 3.5 that talks about a washing and a renewal that comes from the Holy Spirit. When you receive Christ into your life, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, um, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. You get washed. You get renewed by the Holy Spirit. That is what you used to be. But you've been washed. You've been made new into a new person. Well, now... Now, well, I'm a new person, but now I'm trying to live life and I've got these temptations and stuff. And well, we've been called not just to be a new person, but to live a new life. And this next one says, You were sanctified. Not only set apart for God's use, but He's given you everything you need to live a holy life. He can give you a new life, a holy life. He can make you a new person, a clean person. He goes on to say here, You were justified. Justification has to do with your legal standing before God. It has to do with your ability to enter into heaven and spend eternal life there. And he's saying, God has transformed you. God can make you a new person, give you a new life. He can give you a new destiny, a new standing, a new destination. We've got to know that, men and women. This may be your struggle, and you've got to know God can help you still. Um, I love the verse. One of the verses I can combine with this. We're not going to have time to finish all these here. But um, when I think about here in Thessalonians, when it, one, it came to, I was one of those people. When I received Christ into my life, He, he changed me. He took away some of my struggles. Some of the, he cleansed me from some of my sin and the brokenness that I brought into my own life and in the lives of others. And God is still renewing that. And, um, but He made me into a new person. And this is an area that by and only by the grace of God, only by the help of the Holy Spirit, I am a very different person than I used to be. If some of you would have known me in college, some of you would have seen me trouncing around the streets of Juarez because morality is defined differently down there, you would, have, you would be aghast at who I was. 
And I'm so thankful to who I am, who Christ has made me to be, and who He's continuing to make me into. And I know He, he wants to do that for you. I know He can do that for you. Um, but it has to do first with inviting Christ in your life if you haven't. And second, some of you may go, well, I did that a long time ago. Now what? I'm just stuck. No, I think there's still encouragement. Um, I love this verse here. He calls us to a holy life. Chapter 4. Chapter 5 of Thessalonians. I'm stealing this from whoever's going to teach that passage. Chapter 5 says this. The one who calls you, men and women, the one who calls you to a pure life, the one who calls you to a holy life, the one who's given you His Holy Spirit is faithful. And He will do it. Did you know that the only one who could help you and I live a holy life is the Holy God, the Holy Spirit. There's no other man-made way to generate holiness. You and I have no way to generate holiness apart from the Holy Spirit living in control of your life, expressing Himself in and through you. There's no way any of us could ever live this life. But God has called us to it, and He's given us everything we need to do it. And you have got to be sure of that, men and women. Here's just the thing I left on your handout. You can review on your own time, but a starting place, especially if you're a believer, or maybe if you're not, is confess your sin to God. Maybe if you're a Christian, you say, I, I am a Christian, and, and yet I've been doing this. Confess your sin to God. And if you've been doing that a lot, get another person involved. It says, confess your sins to one another, that they can pray for you and you'll be healed. But confess your sin to God. If you've not come to Christ as your Savior, you don't have to confess each and every sin. You might just come to Him as a sinner. You know, when I came to Christ as a sinner, I knew it represented a whole lot of sin. And I was just so thankful that He still loved me, that He would still change me, transform me, forgive me. And I'm so glad that, that He brought me to Himself 18 years ago and, and made me into a new person. But God can do the same for you. But it starts here, this verse in, in 1 John just talks about, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you need to feel clean again? Why don't you confess and get honest with your sin? If you're stuck in that, maybe get honest with your sin with another brother and sister who's maybe not as stuck. Maybe someone who's having victory and obedience in this area. Offer yourself to God. This passage in Romans 6 just talks about offer yourself to God. It goes on to specifically say, offer the parts of your body to God, the instruments of your body to God as a holy offering. That would probably help if you say, God, I'm yours. Everything that I have on this body, everything that I am, is yours. Help me live a holy life. Ask Him to fill you. This verse in Ephesians says to be filled with the Spirit, to be controlled with the Spirit. The other promise there, 1 John 5.14, is the one that says if you ask God for anything that's in His will, if you ask God for anything that He wants, guess what? He hears you and He wants to help you with it. It's a promise. The question is, do you believe it? Do you believe it? It's a promise that's there for you to claim. This is a promise I claimed from back in the days uh, after becoming a believer and realizing, you know, temptation has not gone away from this wicked body. And yet God can help me still live a holy life. And I believe this. He's faithful. He's called me to a holy life. He can do it, Lord. I can't do this without you. Please do this in and through me. Last part there is just you've got to trust Him. Just as you've got to place your trust in Christ as your Savior, if you are a believer, you've got to place your trust in Christ or... Christ's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to live out the life He's called you and I to. And so, um, let's just go ahead and pray. I encourage you to think about this. If you need to, get honest about this with, with others, with another, someone who's having success and victory in this. Um, and before we take this message to anybody else, let's make sure we're living pure lives. And then we can, in love, maybe we need to warn some of our friends that it is a big deal to God, that they might change their mind before it's too late, but it's got to start here first. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, God, we just thank You for Your Word. Lord Jesus, I just thank You for Your example to us, Your life. You lived in a body that was a flesh, that was prone to sin, that had all the hormones that our bodies have, even male hormones that would people would say, well, how can we resist that? But You did. 